0: Hey guys, it's Swank Matron here. I just uh, did an interview with Joshua Dysart, who's the uh, author of The Unknown Soldier for DC's Vertigo imprint and the BPRD uh, 1946 and 1947. And uh, um, we, uh, we talked a lot about those books, and uh, hopefully you guys don't mind if it gets a little bit political because The, you know, the Unknown Soldier is pretty political. But uh, here's the interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: Yeah, my name is Joshua Dysart and I'm a comic book writer and amongst other projects one of the things I do is a book called Unknown Soldier for DC Vertigo Comics and um, it is primarily concerned with the war uh, that has recently ended in northern Uganda between the Ugandan People's Defense Force and the Lord's Resistance Army Um, and it is a work of fiction but it's couched very much in this, this real conflict and it takes place in 2002 at um one of the particular high points um or, or low points, as it were in, in this conflict, so that's the gist of the book
0: um and and as far as the book um I mean you went out to to Africa to to do research for the book. How much time did you spend there and and you know what did you see? how did that inform the book?
1: yeah, I spent a little over a month in northern Uganda and uh, and it informed the book in every way i mean um it's that's actually a very broad and open question you know that there's simply no way that I could have done this book um, with the level of uh, with the the level of integrity really I mean if if it has any at all um, without going there Uh, the last thing I wanted to do was produce another western view of some place in the continent that you know that was just hell on earth and, and that was riddled with stereotypes and so you know, I just had to go to East Africa. I just had to see what the people were like and what the food was like they ate and what the land was like and how they interacted with it and with each other. I mean, it changed everything for the book going there.
0: And, and I mean, to that end, uh, where did the genesis of the book come from then? I mean, did you go to, to Africa first uh, and come up with the idea and want to apply that to what is, you know, quite a forgotten classic DC character or did you come up with the idea first and then decide to go out and do the research you know it was an interesting combination of the two
1: I had been interested in Joseph Coney, who is the leader of this rebel group since 2001 and my interest in Kony lied at the heart of his for lack of a better term his madness you know I don't want to use that loosely but the most basic investigation into Kony's life and the decisions that he's made um, I think will will shock any reader. <laughs> Do you hear that? Yeah. It <laughs> will shock any reader. Um, so so I began to get really interested in Coney as as an ex- uh, a religious extremist. He's an extreme Christian, um, and and I've been like that for several years doing research, trying to pick up reports where I could. Um, they were pretty sparse when you compare them to reports on Israel or the Chechen conflict or something like or Georgia, and. Um, And just sort of following it. And then in 2006, DC Comics approached me and they wanted me to do a revamp of their character, Unknown Soldier. And War Comics uh, are something I'm interested in, but I really don't want to celebrate conflict or celebrate war. So um, the first place my brain went was to this conflict in northern Uganda, because to my mind, it felt um, like the reportage had been slim on it to begin with and uh i also just i was just the thing that i knew the most so i pitched that idea and they they greenlit it and then i became terrified i became terrified that this was a completely wrong thing to pitch and that we were going to there was no way to avoid creating an exploitative piece of work and um you know and that's when i made the decision to go there i had always wanted to go to northern uganda and the ceasefire had been put in place in late 2006 and i kind of had an itch to go since then but the minute they greenlit this, this comic I didn't really have a choice so I kind of manifested it for myself in a way by pitching this
0: idea um, Was there any trepidation on DC's part? I mean The Unknown Soldier was very much an adventure book I mean it was, it was sort of like uh, James Bond meets the Guns of Navarone in, in Vietnam or World War II or, or whatever through the years um, uh, was, there any, was there any hesitation in their part to make it a very like an intensely political book?
1: You know, I don't know. The inner workings of how this book got greenlit, I, I cannot say. They, they sort of kept me at arm's length until the day they agreed to do it. I will say this, though, because it was Vertigo, which is an imprint of DC, who deals with the more mature titles um, and the more interesting, to my mind, subject matter, uh, you know, Vertigo is run by a woman named Karen Berger, and she tends to gravitate towards that kind of thing. So that might have been actually a plus. For me, getting this gig as opposed to you know, something that that you know that they sat around and deliberated on.
0: No, and and I, I know you have started a uh, a blog to sort of keep people up to date about the conflict and the, well the situation in Uganda and where um, where have things gone from the time the book is set to now, sort of in real life and and your efforts to sort of keep people aware of it because like uh, you know as you said it's 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 fairly underreported. Um, one way or the other in the mainstream media? Uh,
1: Yeah, um, this is a great question, and I really appreciate it, because one of the things that has made me upset is since this book has come out, and I stress again, the book takes place in 2002, it has caused this sort of revival of interest in my readership into Uganda. And what I see so much right now, and especially around the conversations around this book, is discussing... Northern Uganda, as if it, the conditions that are in place now are the conditions that were represented in that book, and that is not true. Actually, Northern Uganda, particularly Ch- Acholi land or the the Gulu Kitgum area, which is a pretty broad area there in the the northwest, has gotten much much better. Now, this has been at the expense, unfortunately, of the, of people in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, and and Southern CAR Central African Republic, because Joseph Kony has been forcibly moved uh, by a very extensive military um, operation called Operation Lightning Thunder. Uh, And he has been moved into uh, East DRC. So while for Northern Uganda this is a good thing, it's allowed them, you know, their ceasefire has turned into what seems like a lasting peace. they, the, the community is changing rapidly, the Northern Uganda community. Um, even when I was there, which, which was just a little bit into the ceasefire, you saw hotels and banks opening up and people moving back to the towns. And uh, at that time, people were being moved off the internally displaced persons camps. At one, at one time, we're talking about 1.9 million people on IDP camps, forced to live in these essential concentration camps. They were being moved to smaller satellite camps. While people were trying to deal with the issue of demining uh, the north, which is still a big, big issue, there are mines all over the place. But things have gotten better for the Acholi, and they and they are slowly moving to a place where they can begin to to have a legitimate struggle for equity in the Ugandan political process and in and in Ugandan economics. Um, however, unfortunately, Kony is still operating um, in eastern. Democratic Republic of Congo in Southern CAR, uh, Central African Republic. So, and, and he's just as bad as he's ever been. He's, he's kidnapping, he's murdering, um, you know, and, and, and it's a really bad scene. The United Nations is trying to ship people in and uh, to that area, and, you know, it's really rough. So so the Acholi's gain is, is uh, the loss of others in the world.
0: Do you see this book as a useful way to shine a light on that and, and try to, uh, you know, get people to be outraged about it and speaking about it and, and maybe more, I mean, I know the New York Times did a piece, um, I'm going to be writing this up for Huffington Post, there's going to be other mainstream outlets, I'm sure, doing stuff on it. I mean, is, is, is that p- part of your, your goal with the book now at this point?
1: You know, that was never intentionally part of it. it you know, it, it's not a, um, it's not intentionally a social justice piece. And if anything, because it takes place in 2002 and because the events uh, have changed quite a bit um, since, you know, since the, the point in which the book takes place, if anything, what we're going for is a more kind of meta-education about the world in general, just getting people interested in, in, in pursuing the details of these conflicts that happen in, in the continent of Africa or in Southeast Asia, or, uh, you know, since this is no longer really the details aren't pertinent, I'm hoping the reader takes a larger look at the picture, a larger look at the issue of child soldiers, which I think will be the social justice issue of the future. Um, A larger look at how we integrate with the world and how we ignore um, conflicts that are happening all around us, you know, and even a glimpse at our own social isolation in this country. So if it does anything other than, you know, entertain as a comic book, then uh, I, I hope it does those things, you know.
0: Well, I I think it does, Um, I mean, in a a very broad sense. I mean, I I read it, um, and and I enjoyed it very much both as a comic book and as a piece of, of, you know, something that would bring a level of social awareness. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, I think that we do, I got, I became very, almost to the detriment of the comic, I think, at one point, but I tried to wrestle through it. I became very hyper-aware of my responsibility dealing with this issue, particularly once I visited the place and lived with the people and ate at their table and spent time in the IDP camps and, and, um, you know, I rode with the World Food Program trucks and you just don't... I interviewed child soldiers and I interviewed UPDF soldiers and you just don't walk away from that and think, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to write this really totally exploitive, careless book, you know? (laughs) You're suddenly obligated. You suddenly carry the weight... that conflict on your shoulders so it has made writing this book the most difficult creative endeavor of of my life actually well
0: this uh, that sort of leads into my my next question and that and that sort of um, are you are you worried at all about sort of a conflicting message where where the book seems very clear um, you know the old adage that violence begets violence and and but but Moses he's he's clearly winning something here with violence you know, I mean, he is the unknown soldier, and at the end of the day, this is a this is very, um, I mean, it's a comic book, and, and, you know, things obviously have to happen. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very much a pacifist myself, but I found myself rooting for him when he was, you know, in the village, you know, cleaning up, clean, cleaning up the soldiers. Right. Um, so are you worried about sort of a conf- conflicting message there at all?
1: Well it's definitely one of the big big battles of the book um, but you know it's interesting because you know in your your question there's two really interesting points I'd like to bring up one is that it's a comic book so at the end of the day he's got to you know there's some sort of illusion that he's got to succeed or things have to work out but that just isn't true I think that you'll find you know if we get to do our full run on this book uh, I think that you'll you'll find that maybe it all won't all won't work out for for Moses I mean the fact of the matter is is his stated intention is to kill Joseph Coney in the real world Coney's still alive so uh, so uh, you know don't be too quick to judge like whether his his intentions and his actions are really going to work out for the best it it, it very
0: much seems to me that, that his use of violence is going to come back and haunt him
1: right sure yeah, absolutely. And I find some of his personal decisions that he makes abhorrent. You know, I mean, he I, um, I certainly doesn't represent my, how I would handle the situation.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't think it's representative of how a lot of people would, would yeah, handle the situation. Um,
1: but there was another point that you brought up as well, and that is that you, as, um, as someone who personally identifies as a pacifist, found yourself rooting for the violence. If I do my job well what this book is about more than it is about child soldiers more than it's about the acholi and their way of life being disrupted by by almost perpetual conflict until recently more than any of that more than east african politics this book is about the nature of violence in in humanity and how we carry this violence with us all the time and you know this is something i really really wanted to wrestle with and so i find it a great success if i make a pacifist Root, um, root for a character who's using violence as as an action because then I've stated something about the difficulty and the fragility of pacifism. In turn, I would also like to, at some point, be able to succeed in this book at making somebody who feels that violence is a can be a productive answer questioning that. If I can do both those things throughout the entirety of this single series, then we've really achieved something something larger than the um, the social justice intentions of the book. Um, Having said all of that, and not to belabor the question, but having said all of that, the fact of the matter is is I have a tremendous amount of guilt. I do wish that there was a way or in the future a narrative I could tell that celebrated nonviolence instead of using violent imagery to depict how violence doesn't work. I would like to use nonviolent imagery to depict how violence doesn't work. And it is a a sad and... um, tragic thing and a difficult thing for me to deal with the fact that when you show violence in media it is engaging and it produces drama and undoubtedly if I'm being completely honest with you uh, there is no question that I am exploiting violent imagery to make some sort of haphazard clumsy statement about violence and that's a reality that I face when I write this book and what? look at the thrill writing violence too that's the thing it's like violence is a funny tricky weird thing you know
0: and it's 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 very beautifully rendered in the book, and it's very exciting and and thrilling, and and you know even though I, I, it's brutal at times, it it really is, and it's uh, it's uh, no no I, that conflict sort of permeates the book in a way that I thought I was I was very impressed with. Well, I hope
1: it does because if I'm going to wrestle through it when I'm alone in the dark trying to write it at three in the morning, I hope the god that you feel it when you're reading it. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise I'm just. You know, I'm just tearing my hair out for nothing. But it's sad. I mean, it's one of the sad things of humanity, and one of the things I'm, I'm fascinated with is how beautiful an explosion can be. How, you know, I live, in, I live in Southern California. We're experiencing fires right now, um, and they're really, as usual, they're pretty devastating, both to nature and, and to, to the people who try to occupy the space that are fire-prone. But last night, the moonset was the most beautiful thing you could have possibly ever seen. The moon was blood red and fat and low because of all the ash in the sky, and and death is beautiful, and and it's one of the it's one of the sorrowful and joyful things about life is this way we're attracted to violence and death and explosions and horror and I don't know, it's real.
0: Speaking about that attraction towards sort of that direction. Um, you have in the book sort of this composite character of all those jet-setting sort of celebrities who, who do their best, admirably so I think, to some degree uh, of of shining lights on on conflict areas. Um, you're in the book. You seem very ambiguous as up to whether or not this is a useful or good thing, or even if it's a bad thing. But uh, I mean, you've you've been there. I mean, where where. I mean, where do you come down on that? I mean, is that, is that doing more harm than good? Is it helping? Where, where do you see that?
1: You know, the ambiguousness you feel in the text it represents my own conflict on this as well. And in fact, the book is, as any listener right now is probably beginning to glean, the book is really an amalgamation of, of personal conflicts on my part. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, on the one hand, you know, it yeah I guess it does bring attention to these areas and it certainly gives these people um, a better purpose in their lives than you know producing you know movie terribly expensive movies that don't really achieve anything in this world um, on the other hand you know, and I'm a white guy saying this so you have to take it with a grain of salt but you know Africans need African heroes and Africa needs to stand on its own two feet and, and, and uh, they they need to look up to each other. and We don't need Angela Jolie adopting you know as many kids as she can. You know I I don't know. I, I'm very conflicted about it. I think that the whole issue of aid to Africa and the, and the way the West approaches the continent is a very 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 complex issue. So much of it is tied to um, to colonialism and and uh, and, and post colonial guilt and and um, you know and. And so the actual second story arc that we're working on now, which is called Easy Kill, is about all this stuff, and, and it focuses around that character that you mentioned. Her name is Margaret Wells in the comic book. And um, and I just sort of wrestled through that to the best of my ability. I mean, it's not wrong. They're not being wasteful, I guess, by being there. Uh, well, the I, United Nations... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was
0: going to say, on the other hand, I mean, you do have these... I think I think one of the most telling moments in the first trade is the moment where... Um, uh, Moses' wife breaks down in her arms, and at the end of the day, it kind of feels like it doesn't matter who's there as long as as long as another human being can offer that comfort. You know that that um,
1: Absolutely. That,
0: that that movie was that moment was very striking to me.
1: No, oh, that's that's great. I'm glad because the second arc kind of it boils down to that. It's like whether it's nations or people, everybody needs help. Everybody needs to have their burdens. Taken on by a friend and um so psychologically there's you know there must be some good in that there must be some good in another human being taking on the burdens of of the other and um you know, and so we can debate we can debate whether it does good or whether it's you know it's 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 politically the best thing to do, but everybody needs a friend and uh I guess in a way that's these celebrities feel like they are the they' you know i mean Angela Jolie is a friend of Darfur i guess so so yeah I mean I'm not here to judge that I, I do find it a fascinating relationship i think the the white person gallivanting around East Africa is an interesting having been that <laughs> i think it's a it's an it, it's a very interesting thing so.
0: well, that was going to be my next question i mean um i mean do you do you feel sort of partly responsible for being something like that or i mean i, I mean you you've you you did say that, you know, Africa sort of needs African heroes and you're and you're writing a very strong one, but uh, you know, how how do you come to terms with the fact that that you were that that uh, you know, wh- white yeah. entertainment writer gallivanting about Africa trying to to come back and do it justice for a comic book?
1: Right. Well, well, you know, that's a lot of what is in Margaret Wells. I mean, I don't know anything about Angela Jolie and her intentions. <laughs> so when I write Margaret Wells, she actually I write a lot about my concerns in, in, into her, and in fact, I think it's riddled throughout the book, near you know, the beginning of the trade, uh, in the, what was the first issue when we were in singles, um, Luanga Moses says something to the extent of, you know, she, she fetishizes, like, child soldiers and aides, and when she looks at Africa, that's all she sees, you know. And uh, and now I'm, I'm digging on myself there. I mean, I it is un- yeah. undoubtedly Africa as a continent that's got some bad PR, and I don't know that I'm doing anything to alleviate that. In fact, I might be I might be making that PR worse with my book. I might be just another voice painting a portrait of Africa as hell on earth, and you know I don't want to be that. And certainly Margaret Wells, my fictional celebrity, doesn't want to be that. But she, but you know, it's not like she's going to the. the you know, the beautiful Serengeti plains, and going on. I mean, she's you know she's dragging cameras to the worst places on the continent. So, so, so you will find my concerns about myself and this identity uh, problem I have with writing this book in her character.
0: Um, it, the thing that, that that's interesting to me about this book, and I don't I don't feel like you've you've sort of painted it as hell on earth. I think you've you've painted it as a is a conflict area where, where people are trying to bring some order and sense to it. I think one of the and thing, one of the things I find most interesting about books like this is to see that there is sort of civilization there. You know, if you watch on the news, um, you know, any conflict region, it always seems as though we're just fighting people in huts, you know, like no one, no one, you know, when we invaded Iraq, no one showed pictures of, you know, Baghdad, which looked like Los Angeles for all intents and purposes. Right. It was always out in the middle of a desert landscape and and i think that uh I, I don't think you've done that here
1: well to, to answer uh to re-answer an earlier question that's why i had to go you know that's why i had to go there was just no way to be honest about this and not see what gulu town was like which was the base of operations for the Ugandan people's defense force through much of this conflict and not see what the family huts were like and to get it all to get rural you know uh, uganda and to get urban uganda and. And to really paint a full picture of it, and that was all in defense of of not um, doing exactly what you know we were just talking about of not painting this kind of one-dimensional picture. And I cannot tell you how much in all media, film and and books and everything, I I'm, and now I'm super sensitive to it, having spent time there. But when I see something on the continent, particularly where I was on East Africa, I'm just it's it's awful. It's awful how they portray it as some sort of you know, backwater, third world country, and it's just not bad. It's just it's just unfortunately is a war zone, you know. It's actually a very beautiful place. And I hope that some of the joy of East Africa we get that into the book in between all the death and explosions.
0: Yeah. Um, was there any was there any interest in your part sort of I mean there is a long fairly literary tradition of of authors and writers You know, sort of doing their Africa stories, you know, Graham Greene and and Ernest Hemingway and and so on. Um, You know, was there any, did you look back to that? I mean, it seemed like it was a much more romantic place back then. I
1: intentionally, intentionally stayed away. I mean, I grew up reading a bunch of that stuff, and I won't lie, some of my obsession with this probably comes from as a youth being really interested in writing adventure i mean i 'm sorry reading adventure stories about Africa, and so i 'm sure there 's a, a direct line of descent from that boy to this this man person writing this book um, but I distinctly wanted to stay away from that when it came time to write this. I wanted to produce the most realistic East Africa I as a western white person could I think if there 's any Western writer I read at all um, while producing this book and still read, it is the, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name, I'm sorry about this, but it's the the Polish writer, Ryszard Kapuscinski, I believe is his pronunciation. Um, He wrote Shadow of the Sun and, and a bunch of other really amazing books on Africa. He spent a lot, a lot of time there, and he writes about it beautifully, and he captures exactly what I want to capture, which is the sorrow and the joy at the same time. So,
0: what uh, if if people read this book and they feel uh, you know whether whether mistakenly or not that this is sort of the situation in Uganda still or or that this is just you know a microcosm for things that are going on in Africa all over the place be it Darfur or be it in uh, um, uh, the the Central African Republic I think is what you said or, or wherever yeah. counties moved DRC, to West coast
1: um, what
0: what is it you think if, if if this book riles people up enough, what is it that, that maybe they can do about it or say about it? I mean, well, they can def- they can definitely do research on their own,
1: get interested in one particular region uh, of the continent where, um, you know, where something that engages them is happening, and then you know look into the different regions have different solutions. I personally, one thing I would like to see is I'd like to see everybody invest and uh, micro-loan companies that are operating in northern Uganda right now. Um, Micro-loans to small businesses will get the Acholi economy on its feet. And um, I mean, that, that is something I'd like to see. And also, I'd like to see people investigate the various options there are um, on getting these kids over their post-traumatic stress disorder. I've seen some pretty insane figures. I don't want to repeat them and get them wrong, but large, large, uh, percentages of the population suffering from extreme uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. We're essentially talking about a, an entire ethnic group that spills over from northern Uganda into Sudan who were traumatized by the actions of one man and by the actions of the president who fought him. Uh, and they were sort of caught in the middle. So PTSD is a big big issue there and that, those are the two things I personally would like to see more people getting involved with in, in, in northern Uganda is microloans and, and, um, and like investment into infrastructure and schools and things like that. I mean a war, a 22 year long war, 22 years, it's the longest running, one of the least reported conflicts of our generation. Uh, you know, that causes an infrastructure nightmare, a psychological nightmare for the people involved. And an economic nightmare. So those are the three
0: issues to be addressed. Um, kind of squ- switching gears. Reading, reading your stuff, you seem to be, um, super, super researched. Like you've got you've got a hyper, uh, hyperactive level of research. You know, be it this or or uh, the BPRD work. And I imagine that's much more folklore and, and probably a little bit more fun and less depressing to research.
1: <laughs> well, you know. Um, honestly for BPRD 1946, which takes place in Berlin six months after the um, Russians have taken the Reichstag, I I, uh, I mean that's, that's, I did a massive amount of research into Germany after the war and exactly how the war ended and I have to say just on a side note, the way World War II ends is so much more fascinating than the way it begins. In general the way wars end is so fascinating, it's much more difficult to end a war than it is to start it. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, to get to the heart of your question Absolutely. You know, a lot of my peers and a lot of people I respect in comics um, are not there because they're escapists and they like to write escapist material. I am not. I'm very much influenced by the world around me and inspired by the world around me. And I like people and I like to see people um, being uh, at their best in extreme conditions or less than noble conditions. And and that's why I take inspiration. So. I, I really can't write without massive amounts of research. I I, I uh, you know, I I dip into history and I, I dip into belief structure and I deep dip into current events and that's where I find my, my mojo, yo. <laughs> um what uh
0: what what do you have coming up? I mean you're still working on Unknown Soldier, I I mean um it's it's uh I mean are the, how how long how long does that seem to, to be able to continue. So it seems like with, with single issues of Vertigo books, it seems like you're really kind of racing for the trades.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. We are. Um, you know, Unknown Soldier, one of two things is going to happen. We are all of this critical acclaim that we're getting and all of this press, you know, you, Huffington Post, which, by the way, can I just
0: say how awesome it is going to be to be on the Huffington Post? <laughs>
1: uh, so, great. Um, uh, You guys, you know, I was on BBC uh, Radio twice last week. I was on CNBC Africa. Um, These are, this this is a pretty big coup for somebody in comics to get out to the mainstream press like this. So hopefully that will translate a little bit into some sales and we can survive. If not, we probably have another year before we'll get canceled. If we survive... I'd like to see us hit a fifty-year, I mean, a fifty-issue run or something like that before we start to really wrap the book up. Um, but it's a very organic process for me, so I'm not really sure. As far as other work, if I could just pimp a, a little bit more in, intensely, you mo- you please, mentioned Please, BP- please. Yeah, you mentioned BPRD, and that stands for readers who don't know or listeners who don't know that stands for the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Um, which is an offshoot of the Hellboy universe. So it's obviously much lighter than what we've been dealing with in Unknown Soldier, but it's a lot of fun and it's a bunch of supernatural period stuff. And we're doing BPRD 1947 right now um, with beautiful, be- I mean, I'm not gonna mention names cause I haven't mentioned the names on the other teams, the other books, but I'll just say that it's an amazing art team. And uh, you know, and it's a lot of fun. It takes place in France in 47. They're fighting vampires. There's flashbacks to World War II. I mean, it, it's a blast. Um, but the book that I have coming out next in twenty ten is a graphic novel called Greendale, which is based on neil young 's concept album Greendale, which came out in two thousand and three and that 'll be um a hundred and seventy five page you know hardcover graphic novel and it 'll be gorgeous and i can 't wait for it to come out
0: who who 's publishing that
1: that 'll be vertigo which is okay. uh, yeah
0: yeah um and, and so those are the, those that's that 's what 's keeping you busy these days.
1: Yeah, those are my honestly right now it's Unknown Soldier. I finished my work on BPRD nineteen forty seven and I'm just putting my head down and sticking with Unknown Soldier and trying to make it the best book it can be, you know, as long as we've got on this <laughs> on this earth as a book.
0: Um if, if unless there's anything else you want to add, I think I think we've kinda covered the bases. Well okay, yeah, no, I, actually, there there are a couple uh, questions I want to ask afterwards, but please. uh Um Is there anything else you want to say about Unknown Soldier before we do that?
1: No, no, I think we nailed
0: it. Yeah. Um, There's a few questions I sort of ask uh, of everybody I try to interview, and one of them is, uh, "What three comic books are you reading?"
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm reading *Scout*. Uh, uh, For anyone who doesn't know, that's that's also a um, uh, a Vertigo book, and it takes place on an Indian reservation. It's a crime book that takes place on an Indian reservation. And uh, Jason Aaron, who writes the book, is incredibly formally inventive. He, he, he plays with structure in some wonderful, wonderful ways. He's a much better writer than I am. Uh, I highly recommend his work. Uh, I'm also reading Air, um, another Vertigo book. Um, and that is by my friend G. Willow Wilson. And the artist is M.K. Perker. And it is uh, amongst many, many other things about a flight attendant who's afraid of heights, an international flight attendant who's afraid of heights. Um, that is a great book. Uh, and after that I'm kind of a graphic novel boy so I pick up you know anything that Fantagraphics does or Drawn in Quarterly or anything like that so my third book is going to have to be you know it's going to have to be the, the go out and buy the big beautiful comics and read them Mouse Guard and things like that
0: yeah um, and then the next question is sort of just I mean we all sort of have this, this connection and this love to the comic book industry in general and to comic books and readership is way down. I mean, I, I interviewed Chris Claremont a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that books 15 or 20 years ago that uh, if they were selling, uh, you know, 450,000 issues, they'd get canceled.
1: Right. And yeah, today,
0: yeah. that would be a number one hit.
1: Absolutely, it would be huge, uh, huge.
0: What? Uh, uh, and we all have our theories about what 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 can be done to be to to revitalize the sort of industry and bring readers back and 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 get readership up and i'm sure you've got your 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 ideas and i'd like to hear one of them
1: you know i mean i i'm gonna be honest uh and i i'm not always the best person to talk about this Uh, maybe i can be a little myopic and just obsessed with my own concerns but i honestly think that the superheroes and the crossover stuff while they seem to be helping these companies on a quarterly level I think that they're ultimately hurting us. I think that we need to diversify as a medium and we need to have a... Um, there needs to be a lot more stuff available um, outside of the superhero set so that we can start bringing in readers who, you know, who aren't interested in that, who who feel like, you know, guy, this kind of mythic... I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with superheroes. I think they're really, really interesting and you can do interesting stuff with them, but they so dominate the marketplace. Um, and if you're... You know, if you're a crime fiction guy, or if you like subtle drama, or you're a 40-year-old housewife, and you walk into a comic book store, um, you're going to be hard pressed to find without some help from, you know, from a, a, a conscientious retailer, something that's going to fit your needs. That's, there is something for everybody now in the industry, but it just doesn't have. It's just not out there. And if you look at any other medium, that they don't suffer from that. You walk into a bookstore, and every genre and every type of story is available to you in a, a, to to a relatively large extent. It's the same with film. Um, so I would like to see that more diversity, uh, and more diversity in our readership being more courageous about their willing what they're willing to try and what they're willing to read. You know, I I uh, no offense to the superhero guys, but I, I I feel like it's a little bit embarrassing that. That makes up eighty percent
0: of our industry, you know or are these, these these guys in tights so well i uh, I'll wrap it up there and, and I'll say that I, I think everybody should, should run out and grab you know the unknown soldier i had I had a very good time reading it, although I was uh, you know very very much so curious and, and socially conscious afterwards, and I you know got on the internet and started you know doing some some noodling around because awesome. of it. Um, and i hope I hope everybody else who's listening would would give it that chance too. Um, and I want to thank you for your uh, for your time.
1: Oh man, it's been great, Brian. Thank you so much.